You are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine, and broadcast on 1310 AM Portland, streaming live each week at 11 AM on WLOBradio.com and available via podcast on drlisa.org. Today is September 18th, 2011. Thank you for joining us. Here are some highlights from this week's show. So how are you living in the world? What are the gifts you're bringing into the world? What are the gifts you're allowing to come in to you? I mean, that's huge. What do we allow in so we can give out differently? This is written for everybody, you know? This is not my story, this is our story of how we part with those we love and the things that are left behind. So, but again, in talking about intentions and goals, you know, there came a point where I realized that if I was going to ever reach this goal that I've had for a long time, I needed to do something different. It just inspired me and energized me, really. And it was like, it was soulful energy, it was intellectual energy, but it was just uh, optimistic energy of the possibilities that we have in Maine. Support for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is graciously provided by Thomas Shepard of Hersey Gardner Shepard & Eaton, an Ameriprise Platinum Financial Services practice based in Yarmouth, Maine. You'll achieve your dreams when you take the time to invest in yourself. Learn more about Hersey Gardner Shepard & Eaton at AmeriprizeAdvisors.com. Support is also provided by Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Yarmouth, Maine. With the Remax Heritage Real Estate Agency, it's your move. They stand committed to the ideals of honesty and integrity. Learn more at rheritage.com. Hello, this is Dr. Lisa Belial recording the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour from Portland, Maine at the offices of Maine Magazine. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is available locally, Portland, 1310 AM, streaming wlobradio.com and podcast on drlisa.org. We welcome you to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We begin our show, as we always do, with a quote from the book Our Daily Tread, which was published in collaboration with Islandport Press of Yarmouth. Our Daily Tread was written in honor of our late friend, Hanley Denning, and all proceeds benefit her organization, Safe Passage. Safe Passage provides approximately 550 children with education, social services, and the chance to move beyond the poverty their families have faced for generations at the Guatemala City Dump. Visit them online at safepassage.org. Today's quote is from Mother Teresa. If we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to one another. Elizabeth Peavy is the author of Out of My Way, An Odd Life Lived Loudly, a collection of columns from her Casco Bay Weekly Days and of Maine and Me, 10 Years of Down East Adventure, which was awarded the Maine Literary Award for Best Maine-Themed Book. Her essays and articles appear frequently in Down East Magazine, where she has been a contributing editor since 1997. Her monthly humor column, Out of My Yard, can be found at theballard.com. 
Elizabeth has taught public speaking at the University of Southern Maine since 1993 and has served as guest lecturer of creative nonfiction at University of Maine Farmington. Her latest book, Glorious Slow Going, Maine Stories of Art, Friendship, and Adventure, a collaboration with renowned Maine landscape painter Marguerite Robichaud, is due out in 2012. She recently performed her one-woman show, My Mother's Clothes Are Not My Mother, to a sold-out audience at the St. Lawrence Center for the Arts in downtown Portland. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. Well, you know, I'm actually fascinated by this quite varied background that you've had. I, we're, today's show, of course, is our very first show ever for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour, and it's pretty amazing that we have you on because I've always considered you to be one of my fellow creatives within the community, but you're a little, just a few years before me, ahead of me, and um, I used to read Out of My Way. Mm. So it, it's great that you're here and we're doing this new beginnings thing, and in your life you've had new beginnings. So tell me about some of these recent new beginnings that you've been... Well, it's been a, an entire season of new beginnings, um, and ironically enough, it ended with an ending. I mean, it started with an ending when I lost my mom two and a half years ago. Um, that all coincided with some crises in my career um, as a print journalist, as a content provider. The whole world is changing. And I had a very lovely long run um, for many years, you know, doing my column, writing for Downies, traveling all over the state, doing commercial work in town. Uh, I was always busy. I was always happy. I had a community uh, and things were fine. I was maybe a little bit on autopilot. Okay. Uh, it was not always my best work or my most challenged work. Uh, you write a column, a humor column, for as many years as I did. You can get a little formulaic after a while. Sure. Um, and then slowly, surely, all of these venues, sources that I, I was so um, tied into changed or altered or used me less. And my professional life was kind of disappearing on the horizon. And the uh, analogy that I use is that I had been on this, you know, subway car and going fast and going along and blur and happy and all that. And then all of a sudden we're at our last stop and I'm the one left on the train. You know, everybody's out and I'm like, I don't need a business card. I don't need to join Facebook. I don't need a website. I don't need to do any of that because I'm me and I'm sitting on the train all by myself. So last January, and I, I mean, it really was, I'm not a New Year's resolution person, but it was just more the turn of the calendar that I woke up one morning, I said, I got the rest of my professional life to think about, and what am I going to do? And tell me how this coincided with this change in your personal situation. Well, the, the, I, 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 um, I lost my dad when I was 26, so um, I always sort of considered myself possessing a PhD in grief. Um, I preceded all of my friends, most, you know, except for the friends who lost their, a parent at a very young age. I was the first adult in all of my circle of friends to lose a parent. So I kind of stood at the gate when one of them subsequently lost a parent and said, I've been down that road, you know, walk this way. And so when I, my mother's declined, my father died of a heart attack, boom, gone in an, an instant. And so uh, he was pretty young then. He if was you 64. Were okay. Yes, he was 64. I was the last child. Okay. The really last child. How, how, many, how many brothers and sisters <laughs> I have do you two have? older brothers who are 10, 10 and 7 years older than I am. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, as I like to refer to myself in the show, the mascot, you know, the by, the time, by the time we, I rolled around. We have around. one of those in yeah. our family. Yeah. We call her the bonus baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So your father died when you were 26, yes. and then your mother lived... Another 25 another years. Another 25 years. Yes. 
and um, her decline was gradual and slow. So in the back of my mind, I said, I'm, I know this territory, I'm, I'm mentally preparing for it, and she's not gonna go now, but she's going to go, and I know the grieving process, and then of course, boom, she dies, and I'm you know, a mess, and you never can prepare yourself for that because every grief is different. And um, this, I think, because there was so much ambiguity at the end, we were making so many decisions, you know, nursing home, assisted living, back to rehab, can she go home, can she drive, can she not, you know, it was a, a constant, constant decision-making process, so we were all exhausted on top of everything. And I gave myself a, a good, solid, hard year of just grieving and letting myself mourn and restore. And then, you know, it took me kind of another six months or so to get my feet back under myself. You know, with any injury, whether it's mental or physical, you, you kind of, it takes a while to, to put your legs back under yourself. And that's when I felt physically and mentally and spiritually capable of doing something about my life. And this, so is this how the January piece came in for you, or? Yes, that was, it was all sort of around that time. It's the, the, the first thing that I did, um, and as I tell my writing students, the only way to start is to start. Right. Um, I said, website. You know, it's like I'm dis. I, like I said, my career was sort of disappearing into the horizon, and I, you know, I've been in Portland for over thirty years. So you know, I've been like, wow, it's Elizabeth Mead. It's like, who are you? You know, wow, it's Elizabeth Mead. Who are you? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I had to eat my own words, and I started working on content for a website, and that was a lot of work because it was. I, I didn't want it to, you know, I wanted to reflect who I was, and, and so I was very thoughtful and very careful. And this and, is ElizabethPV.com. Correct, yes, yes. yes. Um, and I also decided, you know, I have been giving away <laughs> all of my professional life, public speaking coaching, manuscript coaching, writing instruction, uh, and all of my friends who are actual professionals, you know, nurses and doctors, and lawyers, it's like, you have to start charging people when you do that. So that was part of the, the, the other aspect of the... Uh, the, the website is to, to figure out how I would professionally put that together. Why do you think that you had given so much away over the course of your life? Uh, a little bit of noblesse oblige that I had, I, I just felt that it was easy for me to give these things to people and because they're not tangible you know it's not like, like the writing I'm, and the public yes, speaking yes you know sure. it's not like I'm getting you a, a, a writing a will for you or I'm not you know massaging your you know broken foot or something you know it's like I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you about writing and so many people do that casually I don't even think people who ask for help think of it as a professional service I think it's like let's sit down and talk about my writing because you're a writer um, and they think that it's fun because it's fun for them and don't necessarily consider it. No, wait a minute. Who are you hanging out with? Because there are a lot of people I know that don't consider writing all that fun. Right. Uh, well, avocational writers. Okay. Oh, I yes. see. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, so then you decided that you did have some value. Yes. Well, I, I mean, I never, you know, did or not Or had value. some value that maybe you should charge people for. Exactly. Right. right. And, you know, and it's, you know, I'm of that, you know, you know, filthy lucre. You know, you don't want yes, to talk about right. money. You know, it's always like, oh, I'd love to do your project. And then at the very end, it's like, oh, you don't have a budget for it. I mean, I just went that through that with a, a civic group who wanted me to come in and do this long memoir workshop. And so and at the very end, it's like, um, so your budget is, oh, nothing. Yes, that's a little discouraging. Yeah, it was it? a little. It was a little discouraging. So, but you know, part of it's my, you know, that that should be the, you know, the question up front. I mean, you know, this I, I charge for my work. Do you think that you can afford me? You know, not give the whole thing and then say, oh, by the way, 
and this is actually a really important lesson for anyone who's listening to the show is that, you know, setting the expectations ahead of time is, is important and, and knowing your own value and asking for something back. Right. I and mean, this is an ongoing asking, issue. Yes. And that's always been, uh, it always in my professional life, always been the worst and the hardest thing. I mean, and, and it's especially as a freelancer, um, the, the the trick is not necessarily doing the work; it's how to charge for it, right. and uh, it's a very secret society, and it's very difficult mm-hmm. to find out who charges what and who gets paid what. And you know, I don't know if you know, I'm like up at the top of the heap, or you know, people are saying when you know I, I give somebody an estimate. Yeah, it's much easier to have somebody fix your furnace, and then you can call around and find out how much it's going to be to get your furnace fixed. That's right. Instead, you're trying to write. And this was part of your new beginning, was you deciding, okay, I'm worth this much, I'm going to put this on my website, and I'm going to begin again. Exactly, exactly, because uh, at, at a certain point in your life, you feel like, I have spent, you know, 30 years training to do this, and it is it is a, a, a valuable skill, and people don't, again, you know, I, I don't go into my accountant's office and say, oh, you like numbers, you know, thanks for doing my, thanks right. for doing my taxes. Yeah, right. Bye. Well, you know, as a doctor, I do understand this. I yes, mean, I exactly. can't tell you how no, many times I, I've, <laughs> I've looked at a mole <laughs> right. in, in Hannaford, you know, or... By the way. Right, yeah, or somebody <laughs> wants to talk to me about their transition. Yes. So you know right. that I get this. And actually, Jen Morgan, who's sitting next to me from Maine Magazine, she does the same, she's also a writer, and she has the same sorts of... Yes, I saw her is nodding that, her head right, and is smiling. That not, is that not true, Jen? That <laughs> is true. And actually, Liz, I wanted to go back to one thing that you said that I thought was so interesting. Um, you said that you gave yourself six months to get your feet out, your feet under you. And I'm, I don't think that people understand that there is that fallow period when you're starting something new and that I think people decide that they want to have a change in their life and then they think the change should happen. Right. So I'm interested in that fallow period. Well, as I always tell my students, uh, my, my writing students of any age, even my public speaking students, is that uh, all of these processes are muscles, and you don't decide, I'm going to start running today and you know do your marathon, and you don't start playing guitar and go to Merrill Auditorium the next day. And once you even, a fallow period, you need to start slowly and build those small muscles back up again so that you have some stamina and can, can go some distance. And, you know, sitting down, especially something like writing, which is so solo and so focused and it's so easy to be neither of those things, um, that, that you have to retrain yourself and re- rethink those processes and, and get your head back into that, that situation. And I was fortunate. I, I kind of just stumbled around for a number of months um, trying to figure out, you know, working little pieces here on the website, little pieces there on the manuscript for the show, uh, working on a manuscript for my book that is coming out with my friend Marguerite. Uh, But it was all going in different directions because I was also teaching and I was running a household and I, you know, it just, it's so easy to be distracted when you're self-employed. But I was given the greatest gift a writer or anyone, I guess, can be given um, a, a friend in Bethel uh, had a condominium, it was her mother's condominium, which was vacant, and she gave it to me for two weeks. So I was isolated, unplugged, no internet, uh, no radio, no phone, uh, no friends, no husbands, no nothing. And I got up in the morning, I walked for an hour, I came home, I wrote for an hour, I ate breakfast, I wrote for three hours, I had lunch, I wrote for three hours in the afternoon, did chores, wrote again, or read in the evening. 
And all of a sudden, those muscles that I had been working at up till that point all came back into harmony. They all became one big muscle. And now as I sit down to work, I never have my email, the email is off. I never let myself Google anything. I unplug the phone, even if it's for an hour at a time. But it is that discipline that I was able to establish in that quiet and not everybody, I mean, I'm, you know, 52. I mean, this is the first time that I've actually done anything like this. And I've been a professional writer all my life. Not, not everybody has the luxury to take that time and have that quiet, but that's where I got my, 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 moment, my, my momentum going again. So you were hitting the reset button. Essentially, I was, I, well, I was pounding the reset you were pounding button. Pounding yes, the reset yes, it was. Button. You know, if if it were as easy as a, a, a press, I think everybody would do it. It right. it really is it like had to be sort of thrust upon you. Yes, somehow. yeah, and you know, you know, you hit your head up against the wall. I mean, I have so many pages that I just threw away. I mean, you know, it's it's writing is about editing and you know finding your voice. I mean, when I used to write my column, I used to say it's like pulling, you know, pulling down a you know a big roll of paper towels is that, you know, I I would have to write two or three paragraphs before I figured out what I was saying. So, you know, those those had to go and then then I was able to get into what I was doing and I think in this big picture stuff I did a lot of stuff from my website that I'll never use I did a lot of stuff for the book with Marguerite that's gone for you know this show long gone um, and this show is actually coming out of a book so I have it in my you know oh I can use that in the book maybe because uh, I hate to throw anything away. I'm a very big recycler. Well, I mean, you've got this Maine background, right? We, we're very frugal here in Maine. We, are we don't very like frugal. to throw things that's, away. That's right, exactly. And sometimes the letting go of things is the most important part, as you said. Well, and that's, you know, now, I mean, coming back to the, the show and the things. Yes, which uh, is all about letting go, I believe. Oh, it is so much about letting go. And the, the irony is that when, uh, you know, when mom was living, my, and when she downsized from her big farmhouse, into the condominium, my brothers and I were just ruthless with her things. I mean, you know, of course they were the nice things, the, you know, the jewelry and some of the furnishings, but you know, the, the teacups and the milk glass and the silk flowers and, you know, oh, you're gonna get that, you're gonna get that. You know, it's like, you know, all of this stuff is just so awful um, because you don't need the thing when the person's there that doesn't have, you know, any, any value. And then the minute she was gone, it's it's they they become almost fetishes, you know. That it's like I'm I'm pouring this um, you know emotion of losing my mother into this ridiculous bent can opener, or you know this pie tin that she used to keep her thumbtacks in. I, re I remember we did a workshop together, and you read a piece about your mother's fingernails. Yes, yes, it was very early on. It was, it, and that's yes, that's exactly. This is from that. That's from uh, okay. Yes. Wait, you didn't keep your mother's fingernails, did you? <laughs> no, no, no. That would be very strange. I'm sorry. <laughs> fingernail polish. Fingernail oh, 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 fingernail okay. polish. No, right. no, no. So it my... is about the small things that we keep, yes, not I... necessarily body parts. Uh, no, gosh. No. Oh, uh. I'm sorry. Did I just go in a weird direction with that? I just <laughs> it's like, you know, okay. Yes, and there's a little jar up in my office. <laughs> so in this, in the play, though, you did talk about. Is you, I think you were telling me off air that you were looking at various pieces, you were sorting through them and deciding what it is that I keep, what it is that I give away, and that whole process is just, it's, it's psychological, emotional, intellectual, it's so many things. Well, it is, and, you know, again, as I said, you know, the things that actually have monetary value, I mean, those, those were not, I mean, they've already sort of been absorbed into our lives. It's the weird stuff um, that, that basically has, has, has um, absorbed a memory, you know, that, mm -hmm. oh, there's that knitting bag 
that, you know, and she hasn't, you know, picked up a knitting needle. She hadn't picked up a knitting needle for 20 years, but it was always in the den closet beside the sewing machine. And it's had a smell that, you know, smelled of the, the den closet. And it's nothing I'll ever use. It's nothing that I'll ever, you know, take out of my house. And yet to put that in the garbage or, you know, to a box to Goodwill, it's, it's like you're saying, I, uh, I reject you. I reject you. And that's where the trick comes in, is to say, my mother's clothes are not my mother. My mother's things are not my childhood. So when I get rid of the object, I'm not getting rid of the memory. I'm not getting rid of the person. I am just getting rid of a thing. And I think that the best analogy, I was actually thinking about this recently. Um, my mother played piano. She, was, she took classical piano when she was a young girl. And I could always get her to play piano until she got older and then she had a little bit of arthritis in her fingers and the, the, the fingernails. My mother liked to drink Knox gelatin and you know, especially in the 70s, she had these talons. Right. So she'd say, oh, I'd love to play, but, and she'd hold up her, you know, her daggers as I like to call them and she wouldn't be able to play. So we had these two, we had a Steinway Baby Grand and a Wurlitzer Upright sitting in the house for 25 years that went first silent and then out of tune, hopelessly. And then what, what is a piano then? You know, when right. it goes it's quiet. It's a piece of furniture. It's a piece, or just, uh, you know, wood and strings and, uh, you know, nothing. It's nothing, because it doesn't do anything. It's not a piece of furniture. You can't sit on it. You can't, you know, mm -hmm. it becomes nothing. And, and a lot of the, the leap I need to make is that knitting bag is just a thing, and all of the life right. is gone It's out like of it. an unused piano. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So. But it's hard, because these things, they do tend to become almost sacred. They are almost sort of icons and if you get rid of them then it's it's as if you've you're discarding your religion in some ways indeed and and it's that the, the finality because you know death is so final holding on to something you can always say well I can always get rid of it but I can never get it back I mean, I'm the type of person that has actually gotten up at dawn to go out to the curb to retrieve a bag of New Yorkers. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, there might be right. one article in there I didn't read. I can throw those away later. There might right. be a time when I have to get that. <laughs> when, I, when I clip that cartoon and send it to a friend. Mm. So with all of these, um, the fallow period, the new beginning, the website, the, the book that you've just written and completed, the, the play that you're doing, tell me what things look like for you in your next beginning, because you really, it's a series of beginnings that it sounds like you're going through. It is, I, I is, it, uh, one of my favorite words is recrudescence, and I just sort of feel like I had been a husk, a little seed, you know, and I had to, I mean, I had to be quiet, and I had to, I had to mourn. I mean, I, you know, everybody does it differently, and um, there was, there was so much involved in mourning my mother as I said you know the end was sort of difficult and ambiguous and did we make the right choices did we not intervene soon enough did we take too much freedom away from her so I had to process as we say um all of that and think about that um we were exhausted I mean the last six months of her life required everyday care even though she was in facilities I you know you got to be proactive and be there and so you know one of us was there all the time uh we were exhausted so I mean just sheer exhaustion of grief and then really letting go and healing and mourning and you know the difference between mourning and grieving and um and I allowed my I gave myself the luxury to do that and um, I again was fortunate enough that I have a husband who has a real job as opposed to a freelance writer job um and also you know there was some money in the estate and you know it wasn't the first time mom supported my writing career and I just gave myself a year and I said I you know for the rest of my life if I don't do this now and I know that the grieving process doesn't end when you say boop 
okay, a year's over. I mean, it, but it morphs and it's different and it grows more tender. It's, it's less jagged. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I'm sad about my mom now, it's, it's, it's actually sweeter. It's not, you know, oh, I did the wrong thing or, oh, I wish I could, you know, I'm going to go back and interview that nurse. You know, was she giving her her pills? I don't trust her. Um, and now it's, you know, it's, it's gone. But with that, um, my age, um, you know, being 52 is a, is a, 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 an odd time, especially for a writer because, you know, everybody wants new and fresh and, um, but I feel as though I have always created a place for myself in the world. I never had a job per se. Um, I never was given, oh, you're going to be perfect for this. I always went out and found a place for myself. And because I did make a place for myself, I kind of forgot that. And so when there was nothing there, I said, okay, <laughs> the only way to start is to start. Right, and, and you began making a place for yourself again. Again, and you know, with the show, I mean, the response to the show has just been overwhelming. I mean, the first one sold out, well, thanks to Bill Nevitz. He wrote a very nice column in the Sunday Telegram, um, and that certainly spread the word. But it's the response, the you know, the emotional response. You know, everybody of my age group, and not necessarily even that, has a story to tell, or you know, a, an armful of clothes in the back of their closet, or you know, a weird um, a friend of mine on the West Coast when he heard about this said, you know, I didn't keep anything from my mother's stuff except a purple velvet cord around her neck that she used to keep her keys on. You know, so we all kind of take and pick what we want. So my my goal is to take this on the road, uh, you know, probably small venues in New England first. But I, you know, if I get this up and on its feet enough, then I love performing. I have a background in theater. So, you know, why not? You know, <laughs> I still can't believe I'm doing this. So why not that? Why, why can't you believe you're doing this? It's the... <laughs> There could, there's going to be 125 people staring at me tomorrow. <laughs> okay, all right. But but if you're a writer, you you have potentially a lot more people staring at you, and just in a different way. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, if I forget what I'm writing, I can hit delete, delete, I see, delete, delete. I see. Okay. And when I'm standing in front of an audience. So this takes some bravery. Yes. Yes. And I and I'm I'm as brave as I have ever been in my entire life to do this, and I can't believe that I'm doing it and I am so glad that I am and what a, what a wonderful way to translate your grief indeed yes yeah and, and let's translate I, I think it's to share I, I you know because as I said you know I was so thorough in my, my grieving and my mourning um, I, th this is written for everybody you know this is not my story this is our story of how we part with those we love and the things that are left behind. Well, that is, it's, it is, it's great. So we've been very privileged to talk to you today. Liz, Elizabeth, <laughs> PV, I still haven't come up with a new name, a new Dr. Lisa name for you, but okay. how about um, inspirational? Inspirational Liz, is that a little bit too much for you? Oh. But it's been great to have you. We really appreciate your coming in this very, very first, our infant episode of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour, and it's, it's perfect. You're absolutely perfect for us. Well, I had a wonderful time. I love talking to both of you, so thanks. Good luck, Liz. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Well, this morning is a very exciting morning for us because we are beginning our Dr. Lisa Radio Hour, and in the studio we have a group of very talented, talented individuals, including Jen Morgan, who's the wellness editor for Maine Magazine, and also Chris Cast, who works with Brand Co. and Maine Magazine, Maine Home and Design, 
um, has many, many talents of his own. And we have John McCain, who you're not going to hear from, but believe me, he's, he's providing genius in the background. Um, th this segment in the future is going to be more about food and nourishment and the things that we do to nourish ourselves physically, spiritually, emotionally. Uh, but we're starting with how we're nourishing ourselves as a Dr. Lisa Radio Hour group. And I have apples in my hands, apples that I bought at the Whole Food Market down here in Portland, and they are one of our sponsors. So we will talk about food as a physical sustenance. But we're going to talk about um, other types of sustenance, such as spiritual and, and emotional sustenance. And Chris and I, and Jen in spirit, because she wasn't physically present, but Chris Cast and I, we were at the TEDx conference over the weekend, and talk about... Talk about sustenance. What do you have to say about that, Chris? Wow, that's a that's a big and heady topic. It was interesting. The TEDx Dirigo that was uh, this past weekend um, was mind blowing. Mind blowing in that it nourished the right side of my brain in ways I never thought could be nourished right here in Portland. Um, the ideas and the discourse and the thoughts of what we can do here in Maine from harnessing wind power that really theoretically and practically could power, you know, the nation to the healing power of just simple touch. Um, and there, to, there was a nurse that came in and talked about work that she had done internationally and how important that was and that how we forget as human beings that really one of the best ways we can nourish ourselves and other people is just a simple touch a gesture of healing that was, that was pretty powerful and you know even the figures of speech theater and how they use theater to bring nourishment if you will in life to inanimate objects the the puppets that they had there, they became alive. They came to life with their touch. So it's it, it still now, just a week later, is resonating loudly in my head. And there's all these themes, and it just inspired me and energized me, really. And it was like, it was soulful energy, it was intellectual energy, but it was just uh, optimistic energy of the possibilities that we have in Maine. It, yeah. it's, it was pretty great. And, and then we were talking about this, and, and Jen has also been part of this conversation that when we talk about the Dr. Lisa radio hour, we're talking about wellness in a, in a much broader sense. We're talking about, again, physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual. Um, Jen writes a column for Maine Magazine and uh, profiled me, I believe, in April. For the inaugural wellness the edition. Inaugural, exactly. I was Every inaugural. April will be a wellness edition now. Oh, very nice. So you actually, Maine Magazine is all about wellness. And in fact, you're going to have an entire issue that is all about wellness, which I love. Um, and you are on an ongoing basis um, talking about how to nourish and how to nourish with locally grown people, places, foods. So the apples that I hold in, in my hand, we have a gala and we have a honey crisp. And they're both from, both from the Ricker Orchards in Auburn, bought at the Whole Foods Market. Um, you, in this last issue of Maine Magazine, you talked with Alexander Petroff, who works with TEDx Dirigo, so he's working locally to bring these great ideas into the state. Also, um, we're soon going to be talking with Dr. Richard Maurer, who is a naturopath, and he deals with food and nutrition, um, and that is... That will be next week's broadcast. But that, but we, um, but you interviewed Dr. Maurer for the September issue. Oh, I, of yes, I did. I did. I well, really, what I did was I, um, I all summer long when I was uh, up in on Mount Desert Island. 
people would stop me in the grocery store and ask me what to eat. They knew that I was the wellness editor at Maine Magazine, and they thought that if anybody should know, I should know what they should be having for dinner. And I thought, I don't even know what I should be having for dinner. So I mulled that over for a little bit, and then I decided to ask my friend, Richard Maurer, who's a naturopath in Falmouth, what should I have for dinner? And the article is about his answer, um, which you can read about. <laughs> and we will talk about uh, on the next Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. hour. And, and I think the interesting thing for me as a physician in my own practice um, is that it is all very individual. And what feeds us physically is very, as, as individual as what feeds us emotionally and intellectually. And that what we need to start doing is looking at sustenance as exceedingly personal. Um, and making friends with our food is something that I think most of us aren't doing. In fact, I have the apples in my hand. And Chris, who's from New York, mm -hmm. said, you mean apples grow on trees? Yeah, when I was a kid, apples came from the key food or the A&P. And, you know, being in an urban area, you never connect the fact that, oh, this stuff that I'm buying in the grocery store actually grew in a natural environment. And now with, you know, corporate farming and one of the things at the TEDx thing, they were talking about how we're being impacted by corporate farming and really we should really pay more attention to buying local organic farms and, and you know, it's the garbage in, garbage out mentality. You know? Well, and Dr. Maurer will say that he, he uh, believes that we actually do know how to eat. We just have to look two generations before us and eat more like our grandparents did. Before apples came in styrofoam trays wrapped in cellophane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And well, it, it's it's the thing about advertising. We were victims of advertising in a certain relationship because food is advertised to you when it comes in the, you can have it your way. <laughs> and, well, the right way is not necessarily that way. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, and when you talk about making friends with your food and eating locally, it's also about choosing food you can actually recognize. So, you know, I have an apple in my hand. <laughs> we can tell that an apple looks like an apple. Or, you know, I talk to my patients about eating whole grains because whole grains look like whole grains. It's not whole grain bread that's been processed to the point where you can't actually recognize it. So you, you make friends with your food. You choose food as you would your friends from things you recognize because you wouldn't really make friends with people that you can't recognize. And you wouldn't also, uh, you want to know where it's from. And you also want to know how it makes you feel short and long term. You wouldn't be friends with somebody short term if they made you feel sick. Well, maybe you would. That's a different <laughs> right. show. We'll talk about that later. But, but long term, we all have to be thinking about how the food makes us feel. Um, and also, when we're with our friends, and I feel like I'm getting into a little bit of Mr. Rogers here, but, but when with <laughs> but you're our, not wearing a sweater. <laughs> when we're with our friends, I'm not wearing a sweater, if it's, but um, next week I'll bring one in, and then I'll really go there. But um, when we're with our friends, our food, then we want to eat mindfully and joyfully and, and enjoy our foods the way that we would our friends. So I know it sounds a little bit silly, but really it's, it's very similar. I mean, if you are putting things into your body that that you don't recognize or that you're not feeling friendly with, then it's the same as hanging out with people around you that, you know, are not part of your quote-unquote tribe. Mm. So, Well, I think you and I were talking about it a week or so ago about um, food that's packaged food that's already pre-digested for us, that our mm. body doesn't have to. Doesn't that sound delicious? <laughs> Yippee. Mm -hmm. Right, and, the, and, and that's true, and I talk with my patients a lot about this, and in fact, I... I, I teach a Dragon's Way class. It's called Dragon's Way. It's Qigong-based, and Qigong is a movement-based. Um, it's similar to martial arts, but it moves your chi or your energy. And nowhere in the Dragon's Way eating program is processed food because y your body, it's kind of like eating baby food. If you're eating everything that's processed, it's like some big 
mother machine has, you know, mushed it all up for you and then you put it in your mouth and it's like being a baby again. So we should actually have to work a little bit for our food. We should actually have to eat an apple, which takes a little bit of effort because otherwise our bodies are going to do what baby bodies do and, you know, kind of... I'm not ready for depends. No, okay. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but thank you, Chris, for that. Lightening the mood. Really appreciative of that little piece of wisdom. Spit up. Um, <laughs> so, and, and it's also the interesting thing is I've talked recently with people who... Um, talking about feeding ourselves and again feeding ourselves emotionally physically spiritually I mean it's about treating ourselves with kindness and compassion I think that one of the things that happens with a lot of my patients um, and people that I know is that we we beat up on ourselves a lot we spend a lot of time talking about what we don't do how we don't go running and we don't go biking and um, and I recently had a patient who came in and said you mean I have your permission not to go to every yoga class there is, every running group there is, every biking night there is? I said, yes, you have my permission because sometimes it's a little bit, it's too much. It's overfeeding. So I, I don't know. Thoughts on this, Jen and Chris? <laughs> I think she's talking about me. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, it could be anyone, right? right? No, no, I'm only saying that because I can relate to that, that uh, sometimes even the best activities can be exhausting if you overdo them or you over overexert yourself and just in the way you're talking about how you have to make friends with food you have to make friends with your own body um, and treat your your body as a friend and not something just to whip and lash at the gym <laughs> and that's a really big thing it's funny making friends with food and getting to know food and you know full disclosure one of you know it was a dr lisa blog it was earlier this fall and it was about garlic scapes Oh, yes, I remember this. And mm-hmm. you had garlic scapes, and I was like, those things look great. And, you know, I'd never seen one, and I cook a fair bit. I was like, okay, so I, I followed your advice. I went to the farmer's market, and I asked the the farmer about them. He said, you can do this, you do this. I got home, and I looked at them, trying to make friends with them, and had a momentary lapse of total panic. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. like, what, what do I do? these strange said, things? So I called Dr. Lisa. It's like, so, about these scapes. Mm-hmm. And just that... Ritual and that process helped me almost enjoy them more. And I introduced them to the family. And they're like, what is that alien-looking being? Well, it's a garlic scape, and this is what we're going to do with it. And people got involved. We talked about it and talked about where they came from. And it was really this great thing. So I introduced one small child who basically the food can't touch and very specific eater to something new and enjoyable. So that was Really, that's what this is all about, you know, discovering and nourishing, and that's part of it. And it's appropriate because garlic scapes are actually the shoots from the garlic bulbs, so they are the new beginnings. Um, It's been great to have you both here today. You are part of this new beginning of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We honestly couldn't do this without you, without Jen Morgan and Chris Cast, and we couldn't do this without John and Kevin Thomas from Maine Magazine, and um, we're so excited to have everybody everybody here. Um, so thank you very much for coming in today and talking with us. Thank you, Thank yes, you, Lisa. Really it's great to great. Yes, it's been. I feel truly blessed to be amongst such a creative group of individuals, and I know that we're going to send this message out into the world, and people are going to listen and join our community and become part of our tribe, and all good works will be done. <laughs> I'm so happy to be joined today by Maine Magazine wellness editor Genevieve Morgan for a segment we call the Maine Magazine Minutes. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for having me on today. Um, I am thrilled to be here today because I am talking with Eva Getz, who is the owner 
of Pacha Works in Falmouth, Maine, and a wonderful healer in our state, as well as a shaman. And my uh, column in the October issue of Maine Magazine is all about energy medicine. Now, energy medicine has probably been one of the lesser known and lesser understood modalities of alternative and complementary medicine. But Eva is here to tell us a little bit more about it, what she does, and how it works. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, Dr. Lisa. And thank you, Genevieve. It's a pleasure. Yeah, pleasure to be here. So how can I help? <laughs> well, I think we're all wondering when, uh, when somebody talks about energy, it's a very loose term. And I know that when I talk about energy medicine, uh, I get a lot of rolling eyeballs and cuckoo, cuckoo signs around people's foreheads. And I'm wondering if you can tell our listeners, what, what, do, you, what do you do? And how does it work? That, that's, that's a great question, wonderful question. Everybody I work with differently, but I want to go back to the question you're asking about energy and energy medicine first. Let's kind of give a little bit more maybe understanding about that and credibility. That would be great. Okay. Many people in our culture understand acupuncture now, right? And I do. Fact, I, I'm as Dr. Lisa. I do acupuncture in my practice. Exactly. I'm a firm believer. So when you're working with those points... They're not exactly physical points. They're as much energetic points. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. That's right. So when somebody is blocked in a certain meridian, what you're going after with those needles is to clear those points, correct? Yes. And those are different points. They can be linked to the kidney or to the heart or different, different ways of flow. The energy paths I'm working with are the chakras. The chakras are larger. The little points that Dr. Lisa is working with are actually chakras. They're just smaller chakras. But we have seven main chakras. We have one that's linked right around the perineum called the first chakra to our grounding. The second chakra is right around the, um, I'd say about two or three fingers below the navel. And it's your creative center. It's the uh, second chakra. And we're going really, I'm just giving very, very a sketch here. The third chakra is the solar plexus, and I call it your personal sun. How are you shining in the world? And the fourth chakra is the heart chakra. How are you loving in the world? What is right loving, unconditional loving? And the fifth chakra is your throat chakra. I'm sitting here pointing to my chakras as I'm going up. We're all using that. We're all using it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the sixth chakra is the third eye, the place, the seat of a different kind of seeing, your intuition. And everybody right now is really working on giving permission of strengthening intuition because that's so important in healing, right, Dr. Lisa and Genevieve? You all know that. And the seventh chakra, and we're just going to go through the seven, is the crown chakra. It's the way that you're able to access spirit into your whole body. Okay, that being said, so if we start up through the chakras, the first three chakras are around the physical matter. The heart is what bridges matter to spirit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there. It gets a lot more complicated. But, but what we're doing as energy healers is we're actually cleaning the pathways and clearing the pathways to your original self. Not the self that's been conditioned by society. Not the self that's been conditioned parentally or through the generations. But what are those seeds, those beautiful seeds that you yourself are carrying that are just ready to shine and bloom in the world? So that's what we're doing. Well, that's fascinating because, as you know, we're talking about new beginnings today on our first show, on our first Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. And we're all here starting something new. 
So how can people use energy work to shift their perspective and start something new? Well, one of the main um, uh, locators of energy is the earth. So one of the things that you can do, this is so simple, is if you get up in the morning and let's say it's a beautiful morning and you can, if you can get your feet on the earth and just breathe that energy from the earth all the way up through your ankles, up through your knees, up through your thighs, all the way up through your hips, all the way up, 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 up through the whole skeletal system, through the crown of your head, you're already intentionalizing and clearing because that's our connection, our original connection. That's something so simple. Or breathing, getting up in the morning and just sitting quietly and breathing, taking five good, beautiful, conscious breaths is already a way of clearing the system. You don't have to sit and meditate for 20 minutes, although that's a whole different kind of meditation, but simply taking the moment to consciously clear is a beautiful way of starting the day and also strengthening your energy system. You have that daily just with breath. The minute you inhale and exhale, it's all about energy. So, Eva, tell us about Pacha Works and what you're doing. I'd say around a good 10 years ago, Pacha Works has been now working and established. And so I work with privately with clients to come in, and I work with emotional um, needs, physical needs, spiritual needs, I'm working across the board. Um, and I also have been, I've running, I've been, <laughs> been running groups and, um, I also have done some trainings in shamanism. And so it's tell me, tell me a little bit more about shamanism, because I think that's another one of those words that immediately people have preconceived notions about. Right. Well, basically shamanism is about being in connection, connection with the planet, connection with your environment. It's uh, classically, it was the one who could travel between worlds to access information that would be valuable to you in this world. I think um, the modern shamanic practitioner is, is, is so varied right now. Yes, there are those with gifts who can travel between worlds and using the journey technique so precisely to bring back exactly what's needed in order for your puzzle to fit back into place so you have a more grounded, more whole way of looking at life. That does happen. A lot of us are doing a lot of hands-on work now, too. When you say travel between worlds, just yeah, there's, for our listeners out there, because sure. that's where I think people start to think this sounds really far out I know, and far not out. accessible to them. Exactly. Well, I like to I like to bring it back down a little. Can we ground it a let's little bit? Let's ground it. Let's, let's go to the let's earth. Let's ground it. And I know other shamanic practitioners are out there are going to shoot me, but, but let's ground it. I, I feel that one of, uh, we talk about the lower world, and I like to think of the lower world as how are your feet on the ground? Mm -hmm. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, and how are you accessing your past? Mm -hmm. All right. So we can travel down into that world. You can do it therapeutically for years in therapy, right? You can do it acupuncturally, if that's a word. You can also do it shamanically through talking with somebody. You can. So it's really gifting the client with another story, mm -hmm. another story that will serve them better than the old story they've been living. So that's the lower that's world. That's the lower world. The middle world, or the world of heart, in classic shamanistic terms, is this world, the earth world. 
I like it to look at it as the middle world is the world as we were talking before. It's how do you bridge loving? So if you clear out the lower stuff, if you clear out the gook and the lower stuff and you bring that up, already how you love is very different, right? Yeah, yeah. So and how you can access information is different. So how are you living in the world? What are the gifts you're bringing into the world? What are the gifts you're allowing to come in to you? I mean, that's huge. What do we allow in so we can give out differently? So that's the middle world, the middle world of bridging. The upper world, the upper world is how are you accessing your intuition? How are you accessing your beliefs? How are you accessing uh, your intu- uh, um, uh, the spirit, however you decide to, to live spirit? Because that's very important. There's so many people walking around in uh, spiritual devastation. They don't have anything to hold on to, faith or whatever. Faith can be simply in a tree, but it doesn't have to be as big as, oh, my religion or what have you, which is really good, too, for people. It feeds them. But I think if we're fed on all levels, if we're fed from the relationship level, which is your heart level, from how you're grounding and how you're feeding yourself, which is the bottom level or the the lower world level, and how you're accessing spirit and feeding you on the intuitional level, then you'll be healthy. You know, that's health. So that's a really grounded way of looking at it. Shamanism, yeah. You know, shamanism, it's very grounded. Now, I also know you mentioned that you were doing um, some healing through movement. So tell me about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Tracy Marshall, who is an amazing uh, uh, journey dance person, we're just now in the very beginnings of seeing how we can use journey dance more intentionally as a clearing tool for people. So we actually can take one problem that maybe somebody's working with and actually have them dancing all the way through. Now, dance classically through the ages and in the traditions and many traditions and and mainly in the shamanic traditions has been a way of bringing in energy and also releasing energy so it would be a perfect way of just bringing things down in a, in a very in a way that a lot of people could understand it and you're doing that at the studio no this right now this is really forefront we're just working on this right now oh okay, okay. yeah 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 we'll keep you we'll keep you informed about that and then tell me about 108 angels oh 108 angels it's such a wonderful project the other hat i wear is i'm an artist and i wanted to infuse my healing more consciously into my art so i created these grids of angels that individually each one of them is just beautiful and alive but when they come together they make something new and I'm really seeding with 108 angels right now that individually were terrific. But when we come together, especially around one problem, we can solve it. And uh, I, I don't think enough of that is being fed into the collective right now. We're so involved in all the disparity and, and fighting each other rather than saying, hey, let's take one issue. That's what 108 angels is about. Let's, let's take it and we create something bigger than ourselves. 108 angels is to be used in hospitals, hopefully, this is what we're seeding, as a way of not only bringing a beautiful piece of art, but also a way of helping that institution fund, bring in funds, because each angel in the grid can be sold off like you would sell off a brick in the building. So oh, nice. And so, why 108? Oh, 108 is a very magic number. It's the number of both creation and destruction and transformation. Ah. There you go. Perfect. So right there. Birth and death and rebirth. And, and rebirth. rebirth. And it's also the number of beads on a mala. 
Very nice. Well, thank you, Eva, for coming today. It's been so interesting to talk with you. And thanks so much for joining us. There are so many people doing extraordinary things in our state. Find out who and where they are every month in the latest edition of Maine Magazine and each week here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. Our most recent edition is available at your local newsstand or contact us for a subscription at mainemag.com. Support for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is graciously provided by Akari Salon, an urban sanctuary of beauty, wellness, and style located on Middle Street in Portland, Maine's Old Port. Follow them on Facebook and learn about their new boutique and medispa at akaribeauty.com. Support for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour comes from Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888, located at 100 Middle Street. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. Support for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is graciously provided by Whole Foods Market of Portland, Maine. Whole Foods Market sells the highest quality natural and organic products available. Follow them on Facebook and learn more about their Whole Foods, Whole People, Whole Planet vision at WholeFoodsMarket.com. Gibson Fay LeBlanc's first collection of poems, Death of a Ventriloquist, was chosen by Lisa Russ Spar for the 2011 Vassar Miller Prize and will be published in 2012. His poems have appeared in magazines including Guernica, The New Republic, and Poetry Northwest. In 2011, he was named one of Maine's emerging leaders by the Portland Press-Herald and Maine Today Media for his work directing The Telling Room, where he still occasionally teaches writing. Gibson is the poetry editor of Maine Magazine and is at work on a novel. Now, as we've been talking about new beginnings, I, I know you've had a lot of new beginnings in, in your life. You've had a series of, of course, you have children, and you're constantly writing new things, yeah. or you're doing new things, and being part of the telling room and other things. Um, tell me about your understanding of the power of intention, setting intentions to, to setting, some people call it setting goals, but how do you how do you work that into your life? That's a great question. Well, um this over the summer I stepped down as the director of the telling room and part of that was was um you know I'm one of the things we always tell kids at the telling room is you have to go where the story is you have to go where the heat is where you feel the most passion and interest and um for me I had this this novel idea that had been kind of kicking around for for years and I'd been working on it here and there but I came to a point where I realized I was never going to be able to sit down and finish it without some a big block of time and that I couldn't tear myself away from the work that I love at the telling room if I was there every single day. Um, so, you know, I had to sort of live up to my own advice that, to, that I gave to kids, which was, you know, to, to, to make a hard choice and pull back and, and work on this other creative project. Um, so, but again, in talking about intentions and goals, you know, there came a point where I realized that if I was going to ever, um, reach this goal that I've had for a long time, I needed to do something different. 
Liz Gilbert is a, a great writer who we brought to town a few years ago, and she has a great little story that she tells about about saying no. And she's the Eat, Pray, Love. Yes, authoress. the author of Eat, yes. Pray, Love, and and many other great books, and mm-hmm. and just a, also a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. Um, and great supporter of the Telling Room. And great supporter yes. of the Telling Room. And um, she talks about saying no and how you know it's not it's really not easy. Um, and and you expect that when you finally get up the courage to say no to things that people will respond and just pat you on the back and say good for you but well, they do respond they just don't respond in the way that you <laughs> yeah, might like <laughs> yeah but they don't they, they sometimes are upset and it's hard mm-hmm. it's hard to, to to choose the things that you're gonna do but but we all have to do it yeah well we really appreciate your coming in to talk to us today gibson it's been great and i i think it's it's wonderful to know that people are out there doing what they can um, and using their own talents to further the talents and the opportunities of others in the world so we appreciate your thank you giving been, back yeah it's been my pleasure to be here Each week, we take a post from our Bountiful blog and consider some of the bigger themes that we grapple with in our lives. Today's post is, Recently, I met with a dear friend and longtime patient who has in the past year known the blessing of a great love. This patient and her love are a bit older than me. They have each had prior marriages. They have each experienced the trials and tribulations inherent in being human. They have been party to illness and death, pain, heartache. They might have become easily bitter and wounded, but such was not their fate. Such was not their choice. They each chose instead to live and love fully, regardless of past hurts. Upon finding one another, each fit well into the life of the other. Well, but not simply. Each had had a prior life, after all. Each had family and friends. Each had a background of complexities to meld with the complexity of the other's background. And recently, there has been a new illness with which to contend, an unforeseen wrinkle introduced into a relatively new relationship. Some might question the fairness of this, bemoan the situation, not my patient nor her love. Instead, they are moving forward, accepting the wrinkle, acknowledging that life will always and ever have its challenges that most relationships, new and old, bring with them complexities. An important lesson this, that ultimately it is up to us to decide only one thing, whether we are willing to love, whether we are willing to work for this love, whether we are willing to risk the uncertainty involved, whether we are willing to risk the possibility of loss, whether we are willing to join with another despite the almost certain fragility of union, whether we are willing to continue through, participate, submit, be present, whether we are willing and able to be blessed. Read more of our blog posts on www.bountiful-blog.com. Thank you for joining us today on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. Uh, Genevieve Morgan and I have appreciated spending time with you. This week we spent a lot of time talking about new beginnings and the transitions that we each face in our lives. And I encourage each of you to spend a moment thinking about your life and the patterns in your life that continue to make sense for you, as well as the patterns in your life that no longer make sense. Please spend some time on the drlisa.org website um, examining the types of tools that we have available to help you in your transition. And we hope you join us again next week. This is Dr. Lisa wishing you a bountiful life.
The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Editorial content produced by Chris Cast and Genevieve Morgan. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. For more information on our hosts, production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at drlisa.org. Tune in every Sunday at 11 a.m. for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour on WLOB Portland, Maine, 1310 a.m. or streaming wlobradio.com. Podcasts are available at drlisa.org.